You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee. My name is Randy Bolander. I am glad to have you with us. You know how some networks have Shark Week, but it feels like it's Shark Week for like six months out of the year? We don't have Shark Week here on the third cup of coffee. We do have Australian Week, but it's only one week long. This week is Australian Week. It is part three of our series, Voices, where we're hearing from different voices from within the church. And today we hear from Sally Good, our resident Australian. We've known Sally for years. She brings a lot of fun and a lot of fire to the table. And I think you will enjoy this immensely. Stay with us. Thank you guys for letting me come and share. I'm dutifully intimidated. (laughs) I listened to Jeff, but it cut off. It cut off like 20 minutes into it. I was like, ready. I'm like in Daniel. I'm ready to behold. And then it was Dunsies. No worries. (laughs) It was Dunsies. And then I loved listening to Rachel. Man, I cried. It was beautiful. When you see a a sister just being undone by Jesus, it just does something to you. So it was so fun. Thank you for letting me come and share. So, so, and then I loved what you said, Jeff. You said a couple of weeks ago we had a guest speaker and he told us all about how qualified he is to stand before us. Well, I'm cl- completely unqualified. I love that you shared that. Thank goodness that we're all qualified by Jesus, right? Praise God for that. Um, my name is Sal. Denise, thank you for coming today. I have my friend Denise here. She's epic. You should all say hey to her. Um, yeah, hey. I kind of meant, meant afterwards, but <laughs> you can all say hey right now. I'm going to get my water. Um, also, hey to my family in Australia who are going to be watching this at some point. Yes, hi fam. I've not seen my family since 2018, and my heart is broken over this because of our pandemic that's going on. So the borders are closed. And even though I'm an Aussie to the core, I can't see them. So so hi, fam. Thanks for watching. I know mum and dad have been praying and everything. So it's really fun. I kind of wanted to explain a little bit about why an Aussie is in the middle of the country to start off. And then we'll get into the word. But um, I have known Randy and Kelsey kind of for a while without kind of them knowing me and me knowing them. Um, In 2012, me and some girlfriends took a road trip to Dallas, um, and we're standing outside the courthouse in Dallas, Dallas, and there I see up, I was like way back in the crowd, I see this lady who's about my size holding two babies, and I thought, who is this chick? Like, who is she? What is she about? And she told a little, I think you shared a little bit of your story then and at that point, thank you, Becky, by the way, thank you for this little resource because I wanted to get my facts straight. 
But on Saturday, March 17th, 39 young women from across the country representing the 39 years of legalized abortion stepped out in a 21-day back-to-life movement across Texas. Do you get, some of you guys remember this in 2012? Starting in Houston at America's reportedly largest abortion clinic across more than 250 miles to where it began with Roe v. Wade at the Earl Cabell Federal Courthouse in Dallas. These courageous women will walk, have walked for their personal journeys, stories in remembrance and healing um, prayer for America. And so this was when I first saw Kelsey. And it wasn't until years later through Hillcrest when I met her again and I went, wow, this is the woman and started to kind of join the dots. But um, sort of goes back a little bit further than that. Back in 2001, I am 20. And um, so gives away my age. I'm 20 and I'm in Australia and I've just come back from working as a missionary for a year in Thailand. That was kind of like my... uh, Anyway, that, that was a story around missions. And I'm sitting in my living room, and to the right, my family are making spaghetti, bolognese. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching a short little documentary that I've been given about the call 2000 in Washington, D.C. So a year after this happens, I'm in Australia... This has happened on the mall in Washington, D.C., where 400,000 young people packed the mall and started to cry out for a revival that was stronger than the rebellion. And I am 20, and I am sitting in my house, and I had never, you guys, seen anything like this in my entire life. I had never seen so many people gathered. Australia's like about 90% the size of Northern America, and yet we have like a tiny amount of people. So we couldn't even pull off something like that. So I'm overawed with the number of people. But then I see that their their faces are streaming with tears as little Jesse Engel gets up on the stage and says, raise up the Nazarites when they're 12 instead of 21. Raise them up. And I started to shake on the inside as I realized that's what I'm made for. That, that God who is longing for a generation, who is longing for the generations, I'm made for that. I'd never seen anything like it. I didn't grow up in the time of, you know, IHOP or a prayer house or a prayer movement or any movement really, right? Those of you who are older in the room, it's like, wow, how blessed young ones are today to be in a different story. But I was kind of in this in, in a different part of the story, and I'm watching and I'm weeping as I'm, as I'm being caught up into a story. And so that began when I was 21, where I would follow the story of Lou Engel. And, and so I was a youth pastor. I didn't plan on sharing this, but I think it's cool because it kind of, you know, it's a little bit of the story. But I, I was a youth pastor for 10 years at my church. So once a youth pastor, always a youth pastor. So, so last week where Rachel was like, I'm sharing as a worship pastor, I'm like, I'm kind of sharing as a youth pastor. Once you're a youth pastor, you never turn back. Those games that you do with those kids, they do something to you, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, um, I was a youth pastor. And then as I was a youth pastor, there was a local church that was like really caught up in the storyline of really God's desire to save America, actually. And so I would go to these different youth meetings, these different youth things, and I'd take it back to my youth group and I'd say, come on, guys, let's pray. 
And so we would. And then I remember when I first discovered the life tape and the sieges. And we would go. I went for probably two or three years to the courthouse down in Melbourne where I live with life tape on. And man, Aussies are not quite as kind as what Midwesterners are. I got called all kinds of things. What the uh, are you doing right now? We got a lot of ugly talk around what we did, but I remember as I stood before the courthouse, I began to realize, wow, this intercession thing is a real thing. And I've been brought into something that is far beyond me, a storyline that is far beyond me. And so, and so then from there, I worked as a youth pastor. And then when I, in 2010, I did a DTS with YWAM. I'd been working as a youth pastor, and the whole time I was asking, God, when do I get to do this nations thing? So I did a DTS, and on my DTS, I met someone who was living out here in Kansas City. It's like, what? where's Kansas City? Sorry, guys. I mean, as an Aussie, like, people know New York and, and, and LA, but they don't know Kansas City. It's like, there's no beach? Are you kidding me? You want to go there? Who loves the beach? You're my beach. Yes! You hear me? There's no beach. Anyway. So I did a DTS, and then when I was on my DTS, I radically broke my tibia, spiral break. My DTS was over, and I came back to Australia. I'm laying on my bed, and the Lord says, Sally, will you come away with me and learn the ways of my heart? And so with my moon boot on, you know what a moon boot is? It's the last stage when you break your leg. It's like, I want this thing off. With my moon boot on, I moved to Kansas City. And I remember walking inside the prayer house doors and someone was up on the stage, I think it was Audra Lynn at the time, and she was singing about, um, you've redeemed my soul from the pit of emptiness. And I thought, these are my people, they're crazy. They sing to Jesus. I grew up a musician, so I play, I play guitar, I pretend to play guitar. And I play saxophone. And so when I saw that prayer house, I was like, wow, these people are like musicians. They're like, they can play. You know, John Thurlow would do all this cool jazz stuff. And I was like, I see you, John. That's awesome. Like getting the drum, like it was cool. And so I moved to Kansas City and I haven't moved back. So moved here in 2010 and have been here since. And as I've been here, Jesus has given me a real heart for your country, actually. In 2012, he woke me up at four o'clock in the morning and shared this little poem with me. He would talk to me in poetry about the fact that a great shaking was going to come to this country and would I stand with this nation and cry out and call God to remember this country? And would, he, would I stand with him and see songbirds? I don't really have language for all this at the time. Songbirds to be raised up, to be sent out to the nation's of the earth to prepare the earth for the Lord's return. And so really, for the past 20 years of my life, 10 years in Australia, about 10 years here, that's kind of been my life. I've been around the next generation. I've been trying to provoke them, trying to shepherd them, making so many mistakes you wouldn't even know. But, you know, Caleb knows. Caleb, what's up? Yeah. He's one of my I hope you dudes. We work together. Um, So... So that's a little bit about my story. I wasn't going to share that, but I kind of feel like it's helpful. Because, just because you guys are like, why is this Aussie chick here? You know, what's she doing? Like, why, why Kansas City? 
And um, I think it's really cool because um, I'm just learning more and more about Kansas City. And what I'm learning is that many people in this church have been here for quite a long time. And you could tell me stories about Kansas City that would just be really fun to hear. And your heart is for this city. And as I've been in the bridge, very non-committedly, I admit, I've learned more about the heart of the city. So, so today, that was like, okay, put that aside. Today, I want to start off with a real story, which is this. In 2019, I go on a ski trip. Okay, so I'm on a ski trip. This is the real message now. I'm on a ski trip, <laughs> and I have been asked to come on this ski trip to give extra pastoral care to the kids. I'm like, I'm in. I'm totally in. I would love to come along on this ski trip. So I buy all the stuff. You know, I buy, like, you know, the pants that go on top of the things, and I'm already, you know, I'm like, excited. I'm like, yes, I'll care for these kids. What do you want me to do? So like I'm on the ski lift, right? And I'm going up to the top of this summit. It wasn't a black summit. It was probably a green summit. It wasn't the bunny run, but it was like after that. And I'm on the ski lift and you know, you forget all oh, this ski lift. It's kind of nerve wracking. Who hates the ski lift? It's kind of like you just slide off and you're like, oh dear God, I hope this works out. Right? So I'm sliding off and I'm at the top of this summit, right? And I'm ready. And then I realize, oh dear God, I have not skied in 20 years. What was I thinking? Why did I say yes to this? What was I thinking in my mind? I'm remembering that in 1999, this was 2019, in 1999, I was with my brother's high school class and I got asked to come along for, to do pastoral care, right? So it was another pastoral care kind of gig. And I realized, oh my goodness, I've not done this in 20 years. Like, I realized that. And so I thought, oh no, please, Lord, I just don't want to roll. You know what I mean? Skiing is scary if you don't know how to do it. And so I was just like, my friend went down and she had the pizza the whole way, you know, pizza, pizza vibes, right? And so I go down, I'm like, all right, God, I don't know how I forgot that I had, didn't know how to do this, but we're doing this. And so I, I ski down and I do the thing. What's that thing called? The skiing people. The swoosh. I have the rhythm. I have the, the, there's momentum in it. And I'm like, God, what in the world? And I get to the bottom and my friend is like, what in the world was that? <laughs> how did you know how to do that? And I'm like, I know. I don't know. And as I sat, as I stood there, kind of half-shocked, totally relieved, I felt <laughs> that I didn't, hadn't tumbled to my death. I, <laughs> I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me, Sally, there are things in you that I've placed in you for 20 years. Look how you just remembered Look how you just all of a sudden did something that you'd forgotten that you could do, but you just stepped into it and you did it. And just wait. I'm wanting to remind you of these things that are on the inside that maybe you've forgotten about. I want to take this, this moment where muscle memory, muscle memory is crazy, where muscle memory kicked in, and I'm going to use muscle memory to school you in the things of the Spirit to remind you of these things that are on the inside. So Holy Spirit, we invite you, even in this moment, after all the crazy stories, with a few minutes left, to come and rest upon your people. 
We just really, really love your presence. We love how you come and in a moment, you remind us of who we are. In a moment, you, bring, you recall back, as, as Randy was saying, Lou, the stories that he tells, you remind us of the stories of another season in our life. You remind us of the gifts on the inside. You remind us of the secret whisperings. And as you call them to mind, we remember. And so, Father, as we, as Randy was saying too, as we, as we see this, this bridge get birthed in our midst, as we, as we watch God gather together these hearts, let there be a reinvention based on memories that you are breathing upon again, that you're reminding of us, us of again. Come and teach us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So where are we going today in our last few minutes? I felt invited to consider this idea. Every time the people of Israel got themselves into trouble, they forgot what they should remember, and they remembered what they should have forgotten. Right? I'm going to say that again. I feel like us in being invited to kind of discover and explore the idea that every time the people of Israel got themselves into trouble, they remembered the wrong things, and they forgot the right things. And so today... We're just going to look at a little bit of what it, it means for God to remember. What does it look like when God remembers something? How can we learn from that? What does it look like when God forgets something or chooses to not remember something? And what can we learn from him? It's through the Bible. I know you're already thinking, like, I know where this chick is going. I'm sure you do. You know probably a lot more about the Bible than I do. But let's go together and have a look at some scriptures relative to the way that God remembers and what happens when he remembers. And so I've got Genesis 8.1. I'm going to scoot through a few scriptures so you can just write them down and maybe go back to them later on just because I think it's so powerful, all right? And God remembered Noah. Okay, this is our first example, right? and every living thing, and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters drew back. Genesis 8.1. God remembered Noah in his condition of being locked up in the ark for several days, surrounded by water. When God remembered Noah, he changed something. God sent a wind to dry the earth, and water receded. He made Noah come out to, dry, out to land and on earth again. God blessed Noah. Here, remembrance was a divine act of mercy. For God, in this moment, remembering wasn't just calling a past thought back to the front of his brain. Remembering was kinesthetic. Remembering was an act Okay, and you'll find that over and over again in Scripture. In Genesis 19.21, it says this, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow where he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Genesis 30 verse 22, And God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. 
Exodus 2.24, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, or as you Americans say, Isaac. We say Isaac. Isaac and Jacob. He remembered his covenant and he did something. Okay? God remembered Hannah and opened her womb and she became pregnant. And then when speaking of the coming of Jesus in Luke 1:54, it says, "He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy." In remembering to be merciful to Israel, he sent forth his son. So remembrance to God looks like something, okay? The word remember, I love looking at original languages like we all do. The word remember is the word zakah, okay? It's a Hebrew word. You don't want to forget this word. Why? Because it means to remember with power and action, okay? It's an action-oriented remembrance. This is not just like, you know, when, okay, thank, thank goodness we have our name tags on, but it's not like when you meet someone again, you're like, oh, what's their name, you know? I can't remember their name, and then you remember them. Or you're like thinking about like, you're trying to figure out on your computer where you've saved a particular file. Has anyone? <laughs> like, where did I save it? Or you're thinking about a password, who knows the password quandary? You're like trying to get into Netflix or Hulu and you've got 100,000 passwords and you just cannot remember these dang passwords, right? And so it's not that. It's not remembering a fact. When God remembers a fact, he moves in action. That's what remembering means to God. Every time God remembers something, he did something about it. And I think that's so powerful. It doesn't just mean calling something back to your mind, but doing something that's being thought about, okay? So he's so intense about inviting us to remember like he is that he says something really cool in Isaiah 43, 26. He says, remind me, let us argue the matter together. State your case so that you may be vindicated. I love how the New King James says it. It says this, put me in remembrance. Put me in remembrance. Put me in that place where something is called back to mind and I get to act in mercy. He's inviting intercessors. He's inviting sons and daughters to put him in a place, state your case so that you may be acquitted. In the NASB, it says, meet me in the court. I love that. Think about you, Kelsey, when I think about this. She's a governmental intercessor, and all intercession is governmental, right? But God himself is saying, I'm going to humble myself that much that I'm inviting you to put me in a place where I can be reminded because I so desire to act. That's so powerful. He doesn't require this like us humans because he needs a reminder. Rather, he's instructing us to ask him based on something said or done in the past that he wants to take action today. I think about it as, as New Testament believers. It's like Jesus when he's like saying, stay here, abide in me, sit in my word, right? Stay in my thinking and in my power. Remember with me, okay? 
And of course, we understand that the cry of the prophets was for a people to remember, right? And in remembering, returning. And so we know what happens when we forget the right things. He says to Isaiah in Isaiah 17, for you have forgotten the God of your salvation and failed to remember the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you cultivate delightful plots and set out cutting Cuttings from exotic vines, though on the day you plant, you make them grow, yet your harvest will vanish. Why? Because you've forgotten God. When Israel began to forget, they would toil and they would labor and they would plant, but they wouldn't harvest. Forgetting affects harvest. Forgetting affects fruitfulness. And then it says, and you forgot your maker, your God, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. You feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. When you forget, you for- what happens when you forget God? You turn to your own way, and then you begin to remember your own ways, and you begin to run from God. And so it's this vicious cycle. You forget God, you turn to your own way, and then you remember what? Your own sin, and your own sin keeps you in captivity. Your own sin keeps you from running, and it keeps you forgetting, okay? It's interesting that when God instructs us to remember certain things, he also instructs us to forget certain things, right? It says, he says um, in Isaiah 43, right before he calls us to remember with him, he says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, I will not remember your sins. So right before he says, call me to this place of remembrance, he says, I am going to forget your sins. God chooses to forget our sins and he invites us to not remember with him. What he's, say, what he's saying here is that on a, on a repentant heart, I will forget your acts but I will remember mine. You see a theme here? God is really reminding us over and over and over again that the key to walking in the Spirit is to forget you and to remember Him, right? It's to forget even the great things, and it's to remember Him and how He blotted out your sins. Forget you, remember me, and let the consistency of my character and the ability of my power give you the hope to let these very real facts of who I am lead you forward. There is divine order here. God also invites us, I think about in Isaiah 54, he says, woman, you will forget the shame of your youth and the pain of your widowhood, right? And he says, for the Lord is your husband and your maker, the God of the whole earth. He's saying to you, you are going to forget your shame. What does that mean? It means that you are going to come into a place where all the things that defined you, all the narratives of the past are overshadowed by a story that is more powerful, right? Overshadowed by a story that that holds authority and power to not only tether you to the present, but lead you into the future. You're going to forget those stories. And then you know that, that beautiful scripture in Isaiah 43 where it says, do not Like, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. You guys know that scripture. For I will make a way in the desert and a stream in the wasteland. You've got to forget because I'm about to show up. 
And when I show up in power, you want to perceive it. Do you perceive it, right? And then you know Paul where he says, I count myself not to apprehend it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, right? And reaching forward to the upward call in Christ Jesus. You know, we have this uh, beautiful invitation that in the face of just this present chaos in the earth, we have an invitation to be realigned again in Jesus, to remember the things he's asking us to and let go of the things he wants us to forget. You know, I think about Elijah. You know, we're so, we forget so quickly. I think about that story, you know, where God comes in power and shows up in the face of the prophets of Baal. You guys know that story? And you would have think that this was an unforgettable moment for Elijah, right? That, that this would have been etched in his heart forever, that God showed up and he is the most powerful and I'll remember it all of my days and in remembering, live in that place of faith. But what happens? Ahab goes home and tells his, tells his wife and Jezebel rages. And then what happens? In a moment, Elijah's forgotten. God had showed up in power and then all of a sudden, Elijah is running because he's all of a sudden forgotten who he is. He's forgotten the power of Yahweh. He's forgotten the story that just played out. He's forgotten the faithfulness of his God. And where does he go? To a cave. And he goes to hide. And what happens when he's in the cave? God comes to him in a really, really small voice and asks him this question. Elijah, what are you doing here? <laughs> Bruh, right? Why are you here? He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, didn't you just see what I just did? Da, 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 da. No, he just asks a question that would remind Elijah that maybe he wasn't quite in the place that he should be. You, we remember that when it first happened, all of those years in the beginning of the story, right? Where God is walking in the garden, he's, going, he's asking, where are you? <laughs> Adam, Eve, where are you at? Where are my people at? Why are you hiding? Aren't we like in this together? God, who is knit to Elijah and committed to showing him his power, didn't condemn Elijah for forgetting, but just invited through a very simple question. What are you doing here? And as Elijah and God began to engage, God then commissioned Elijah for something else where Elijah was reminded that he wasn't alone, right? that he wasn't by himself, but that there were others in the land who also were standing for righteousness. So there is hope in our dumb, forgetful minds where we get it all messed up and we forget what we should remember and we remember what we should get, forget. There's still a God who comes in gentleness and intentionality that says, hi, what are you doing here? Why did you come here? And in that place of gentle authority and intentionality, when he finds us in a place that maybe we've run to because we've forgotten who we are, he says, let me remind you of who you are. 
Let me remind you that you're not alone. So as we finish up, we are going to take communion because it's the most epic symbol of remembrance. You want to come up, worship team? Thank you. Um, I'll just have Randy, oh, someone, (laughs) Kelsey, or Daniel, pass out the emblems. Um, We're going to remember God together, but I just really felt invited to... um, share two things as we hand out the emblems. One, two ways that we can help one another remember the right things and forget the wrong things. Two things that we can do together as we grow as the bridge. The first one is that we would tell stories to each other, that we would share our testimony, right? That when we get together with one another over dinner, as we get together with one another over a meal, as we're hanging out in our families, that we would share stories. If any of you guys have ever hung out with the Fagutus, which I have a couple of times, they're figuring things out right now, they are some of the most epic storytellers you've ever met. I remember last year I had a girlfriend's 40th, Jen's 40th, and at the end we sat around and the Fagutus shared some of the funniest stories, you girls. My gosh. It was so funny. And guess what happens? You guys know when you share a story, the joy of that story that happened 10 years ago is all of a sudden in the room, right? All of a sudden you remember, oh my goodness, that was so funny. Oh my goodness. I remember, I remember when Mana did that or I remember when whatever, that, it was so funny. They're such great storytellers. But I, I wonder what it looks like when we're in our families, when we're talking with our, our, our spouse and our friends. What does our conversation look like in talking about His faithfulness? We know that the word to remember, maybe you don't know this, the word remember and the word testimony are synonymous, which means do it again, right? And so when we, when we remember something with God and we come before Him in the place of prayer, we're saying, God, would you do it again? When we're sharing these stories with one another, we're saying to God, God, do it again, right? That's why when we see people get healed, they'll come up and they share a testimony because when the story of the healing power is shared, that same healer shows up in the moment. And so let's be storytellers of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And then secondly, how can we help one another to forget? How can we help one another to remember what we need to remember and to forget what we need to forget is to forgive. Henry Nouwen says this. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's, he says this, forgiveness changes the way we remember. Ah, oh, that's so powerful. Forgiveness changes the story. And so as a people, we get to share stories about the faithfulness and the goodness of God together. And at the very same time, we get to forgive quickly, daily, momentarily. We get to allow His forgiving grace and the fact that He says, I will remember your sin no more. We get to come into that, into His thinking. And we get to say, I choose to forget those words that you said that pierced my heart and hurt me. I choose to lean in 
to the choice and the restraint of Abba when he says, I will not remember. And I lean into him and I say, Father, I want to be like your son in this moment. So right now as we, as we take the elements, can I have one too? Oh, thanks. As we take the, the body and the blood, we remember that Paul, I'm going to read it, says this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We just remember you, Abba, and the sacrifice of your son in this moment.